Boom. <laughs> Roger. You're the first. I've I've had several guests now, probably up to over 90 since I started this podcast on the 24th of May, I think it was. The first one is not going to talk about what affects human beings directly anyway, because you're a vet, aren't you? Yes. Um, yeah, I've been a vet over 20, uh, 30 odd years, um, but not a regular vet either. So... Yeah. yeah, well, I don't like to do anything regular. I like to have things all mixed up and interesting. Um, and I, I love animals. We've got quite a lot. We've got two beautiful cats, one of whom has an identity crisis. She identifies as a dog. I posted some pictures on X yesterday. <laughs> I was on the throne and this cat that loves me followed me in and then sat in my pajamas, <laughs> they were down beside my ankle, and she follows me everywhere. She sleeps on me, which is annoying because I wake up and some she's on my chest, purring away. Um, she follows me around, sits on my lap when I'm trying to get some work done. I'm surprised she's not here right now. She's probably snoozing, but you'll see her in the door, no doubt soon. But anyway, I love I love animals, and I think the ability to love an animal makes you a better human being. And if you can't love an animal, you can't love a human being. Um, so animals are great and the welfare of animals are extremely important for a lot of us who are pet owners, whether they're cats or dogs or any other animals. And um, I had a conversation with someone called Thomas Seafried, who's a professor and he looks into metabolic health. And it was about cancer when I was talking to him. And But he said to me, look, Ahmed, you don't see animals with cancer and these illnesses because they're eating their evolutionary diet. If you feed monkeys and chimpanzees donuts and burgers, yeah, they'll love it, and pizzas, and they'll get fat, obese, sick, and unhealthy. So the reason why we are unhealthy is we're not eating what we're meant to eat, and that's what sparked this interest in my head. Are we feeding our pets the right food? Are we looking after them? Because the more I talk to people, the more I realize food is medicine, diet is medicine. What we eat and what we put in our body dictates our health. And that must clearly be the same for our pets. Um, so I really wanted to have, you know, a vet in and not traditional vet, um, but someone who, like you, is into natural healing and natural health to basically educate me and my listeners and talk about what some of the problems might be with mainstream veterinary medicine. Because as an orthopedic surgeon, I can tell you right now, there are major problems with allopathic medicine. We are wholly dependent and indoctrinated on the pharma, you know, way of um, practicing medicine. Everything is about a drug, a tablet, a vial, an injection. And I've kind of really gone away from that. And I'm looking at diet and lifestyle changes. And I, I'm really curious as to whether things are similar in the veterinary world, <laughs> whether the same kind of division is is apparent there. Um, so that's why you're here, my friend. I, I really can't wait to hear you. So that's enough of me. And the introduction over to you, my friend. Well, yeah, no, you're absolutely spot on. And I would say it's actually worse in the veterinary profession. Oh, okay. Why is that? Because we have McDonald's in our waiting rooms every day and we sell McDonald's. You know, we're selling processed foods to pets and the vets are selling it. And it's, as you quite rightly say, we are what we eat. And that's the same for our animals as it is for, for us, um, you know. 
you know, very much, you know, let medicine be your food and food be your medicine is absolutely true. And certainly for the cats and dogs, they are pet carnivores. The um, cats are regarded as obligate carnivores and dogs are regarded as facultative carnivores, which means they can eat other things. But what you can eat to survive... So, so explain what obligative and facultative. Yeah, obligative means that that cats have to eat meat. They have they have to. So, you know, all these vegan diets for for, for cats are absolutely hundred percent wrong, same as they are for us. And <laughs> thank you for saying that. And um, I'm I'm full carnivore diet myself. Another one. Oh my god! Listen, I, <laughs> sorry for interrupting. The more I speak to people about health, the more I'll just, yeah, I'm, I'm carnivore. I'm full of carnivore. I'm like, what? So I'm not. I'm 75%, 80% carnivore. And I have a little bit of veggies and stuff like Go that. Go the whole way. But do it. <laughs> Rachel Brown, Anthony Chaffee, they'll all, the, Isabella Cooper, they'll all love, they'll love this, what you're saying. Anyway, carry on, carry on. So, so yeah, so, um, so cats have to eat meat dogs are what's called facultative carnivores so they can survive by not eating meat mm. but being able to survive on on not eating meat in a situation where they you know if they're hunting maybe the animals aren't aren't available they've gone into hibernation for the winter or something um obviously the wolves have to go through the winter so the option is eat something or starve and die. So, you know, if, if you only ever had, and you, you were stuck in here, you couldn't get the door open and you only had chocolate to eat for two or three days. Yes, you could eat chocolate quite happily and um, wouldn't be good for you, but it'd get you through to the point where you're able to then go back on your proper diet. And that's effectively what happens with, with dogs. So um, they do better. They thrive. Mm. on raw meat and bone. Mm. And I would actually go so far to say as a lot of the raw feeders aren't doing it properly either because they're still giving vegetables. So hold on a second. So dogs should be eating raw meat and bone. And bone. They are pure carnivores. If you look at the anatomy of their head, they've got a hinging jaw that only goes up and down. There's no sideways movement. There is no plant grinding ability. They don't have teeth for grinding plants. They don't have multiple stomachs like cows? They don't have any fermentation areas for, for plant material, same as we don't. Um, so there are, they are not adapted to eating plant material at all. But obviously it's cheaper to include plant ingredients in, in a diet than just feed raw meat and bone. But ultimately, I always say to people, if you don't see it on a David Attenborough show, then you don't need to do it for them. So you don't see wild dogs and cats attacking wheat fields. You don't see them digging vegetables. You don't see them going to the going to the mint store. You know they have basically what they hunt or or they scavenge. Um, and you don't get fussy cats in the wild either. You know this idea that cats are very fussy fussy feeders is complete myth. You know you won't see a cheetah walking past a wildebeest and saying, "Oh, I'm not having that today. I only eat zebra." You know, it just doesn't happen. So the reason why um, cats are addicted to their commercial pet foods is because the only way they could get them to eat it in the first place was to put taste enhancers in it. 
So it's made the cats addictive to their food and to a certain degree, lesser degree, the dogs as well. Hold on one second. So there's addictive food in cat food. You look at the behavior when they're waiting for their food. It's not just hunger. That's, a, that's an addict behavior. So they've designed the cat food so that it's hyper palatable, just like human food has been designed? Yeah, they couldn't, we wouldn't get them to eat it otherwise. Oh, frack. Oh my God. I didn't know it was dark like this in the veg. I mean, I, I mean, I was sorry, in the veterinary, you know, animal. Well, I it's a bit naive. I mean, I don't, it shouldn't, why should it not be any different? Every industry is corrupt. Shame, name me one that isn't when you, when you really go into it, name me one industry that isn't corrupt. It's all about the money. It's funny. Yeah. I posted this on X this morning. I was, I was saying how, Everything we see in the world today, all, I mean, we're digressing big time here, but like, you know, the whole Middle East conflict and Muslim and Christian and people are like, oh, Muslims are bad and they're taking over the world. Everyone's being played. It's all corruption. Divide and conquer. Divide and conquer, dude. It's all about divide and conquer. And it's all, it's all driven by money, money and power. And the money comes in different forms. It can be trade. It can be oil, gas, pipelines, but it's all about how do you get as much money as possible? And to maintain that money, you need control and then, and then divide and rule. And, and, and all, everything we see around us is corrupt. And it's horrible when you start looking at the world like that. You know, it kind of shatters a lot of the worldview for a lot of people and they find it quite difficult to appreciate. Like just hearing it from you now about even cat food and dog food, it's just, it's kind of hit me. It's like, oh shit, yeah, of course. But then it's, it's very upsetting to hear it. It is. I mean, everybody, you know, vets included, are are doing, doing everything with the best intention. You know, let's, let's not try and, sure, try and sure. smear people here. You know, there's very few really evil people in the world. The vast majority of people want to 100%. get on with each other and they want to do the best and they think they're doing the best. Um, the problem you've got, same, same as you're saying with the farmer in, in the human side, you know, the pet food industry has bought the universities um so they even i've seen contracts from 20 30 years ago and i doubt they're much different now but basically the pet food companies had a veto on what the students were allowed to hear in terms of lectures on nutrition oh wow yeah so oh wow do you know do you know when i went through med school and that was between oh god i'm I'm sounding really old now 1993 and 1998 yeah I kid you not, I don't remember having one lecture on nutrition or food or diet or any of that business. No. Nada. I didn't have, I don't remember one lecture on vaccines. Nada. I don't remember any lectures on sleep or lifestyle or how to exercise. And the funny thing is, you know what, (laughs) Rogers, it ain't complicated because this dumb orthopod is able to teach his four-year-old about these basic principles and they couldn't teach me that in med school. And I doubt it's changed much by speaking to people now. It hasn't changed much in med school. And it's kind of like obvious that it wouldn't be any different in veterinary school. You know, the big misnomer is we call it a health industry and it isn't. It's an illness industry. Mm. You know, that's, that's the biggest con. Um, and, and as you say, you know, health is fundamental. You know, 
people and animals have survived millions of years by eating their species-appropriate diet. And really, that is that is the crucial, you know, that's your number one big health thing there is, is what you eat. And, you know, the pet food companies, you know, they've brought in all sorts of concepts like balance, because if you're going to try and get somebody to feed um, your, you know, your pooch or your, your kitten or your cat from, from a single bag, and that's all they're ever going to eat from the rest of their life, that, that concept of balance actually has to be there because otherwise there'll be nutritional deficiencies. But if you eat your proper evolutionary diet, um, then by the fact that you choose different ingredients and the fact that it is your evolutionary diet, by eating that, you will roughly get the right nutrients for the, for the right calorific input. You know, nature has, we've evolved to be that way and, and and that's how it's supposed to be you only have to worry about balance and supplements and all the rest of it when you move away from what we're supposed to be eating um and that's the same for for people as it is for, for animals as well so you know so you don't see animals in the wild sort of carnivores pet cats and, and dogs you don't see them attacking vegetables you don't see them digging you know digging vegetables or attacking wheat fields they scavenge and, and that's really what they're supposed to be eating is raw meat and bone. And it's not, and pre-ground again is another problem that I have, I have an issue with as well, which is makes me so perhaps different from a lot of the raw feeding vets. No, I, I think that makes sense because, uh, you know, speaking to some of the holistic dentists out there, uh, one of the problems that we've got now with humans developing their jaw structure, they're eating such soft, gloopy food that their actual mandibular development is impaired you get this micrognathia this recessed jaw and actually what you should be eating is meat tough tissue biting chewing tearing into it and if you don't do that like everything if you you don't use it you lose it and it doesn't develop properly um and i guess it's the same with the animals now we're not going to go through every single pet we're not going to go through parakeets and parrots and and, and little lizards and everything but let's just stick to dogs and cats right now i've got cats and i think i'm guilty of not giving them the right food. Because again, pure ignorance. What should I be feeding my cats? There is a book, um, I think it's called Cats Would Choose Mice. Um, and it's again, it's sort of a, one of these whistleblowing books on, on the pet food industry. So basically, carnivores are supposed to eat raw meat and bone. And, you know, everybody focuses on the human side as well, on, on the sort of, the chemical composition, the nutritional composition in terms of, you know, proteins, fats, carbs, and, and micronutrients and all the rest of it, although I don't think we fully understand those either. Um, and actually, the physical aspect of the diet, as you quite rightly say, is equally important. So when dogs and cats are chewing on raw meaty bones, um, and the emphasis is on the meat rather than the bone there, then you know, it, it it performs a function. If they're gnawing, they get endorphin release. They get, you know, if, if they're having to crunch up the bones themselves, and this is why it's important it's raw, because raw bones are, are able to be crunched up. Cooked bones are the problem ones. They're the ones that cause splintering and cause problems. So, you know, it's very important that we, you know, follow it properly and, and raw means raw and the bones are included. And so when they're crunching those up, it actually keeps the teeth clean, 
It keeps that gum tooth margin very strong because that's where bacteria, as we know from, from our dentistry, you get, you know, the dentist will check to see what, what depth of the pockets there are in the gum by the tooth. But, you know, if you're eating the right sort of food that actually keeps that margin strong because it's been challenged, then that, that junction stops bacteria getting in. And of course, if we have got continual mouth uh, infection, you know, that there are knock-on effects to the immune system. It's con- constantly under, absolutely, un- uh, you know, un- under pressure to try and keep everything as clean and healthy as possible. And then, of course, you've got... Well, there's a direct correlation between dental hygiene and cardiac health in humans. Yeah, absolutely. You yeah. get my, you know, infectious myocarditis and all the rest of it. Absolutely. So, you know, it's, it's hugely important. So, and the other thing, obviously, if you're, you know, if you're, if you're feeding food that's pre, been pre-ground, you know, take for example, because it's raw, there may well be a little bit of bacterial contamination on there. So if you're grinding it all up, where does that contamination go? Mm. All the way through it. Mm. If you're feeding a chicken drumstick like my terrier has, if he's got, if there's any contamination on it, it's on the outside. So the first thing that his stomach acid will do when the food goes into his stomach is to actually kill off all those, ba- all those bacteria and all the contamination. And then once he's crunching it up, and then the acid will start to, to dissolve the meat and the bone and everything. That's why we've got such acidic stomachs as well. I, you know, I've, I've understood this now. <clears throat> Our stomachs have got a pH of three and it's, it's an algorithmic scale or whatever. So that means, you know, when you go from seven to six, it's like 10 or 100 times more concentrated. So by the time you get to three, it's really acidic. And that acid is in our stomach to kill all the bacteria. It's meant to be sterile. And I guess it's the same with any carnivore species, including cats and dogs. But I'm really sorry, I'm going to nail you down on this. So my cats, what meat am I giving them? I'm not giving them beef or lamb, should I? Or chicken, what should I be giving them? Fish, what, what, should, what should I be giving them? I mean, if you think about the sort of size of cat they are and what they might be hunting if they're in the wild. So as you say, if you've got a little, you know, little, little homoggy, they aren't going to be hunt, hunting bison in no. the wild. <laughs> so, so, but they will be eating, you know, small rodents and they will be eating rabbits um, and chickens, you know, birds and things that they, they can catch. So that sort of gives you a rough idea. So chicken drumstick? <clears throat> Drumstick's fine. Okay. Or chicken wings. I mean, some people will take the little hard little tip at the end off just because that right. could be a little bit hard. Yes. But, but no, basically you want to feed the meat on the bone and with the skin and everything there as much as possible as well. Okay. So, 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 so. I am guilty of not, I'm being honest, not feeding my cats properly. I get them the tinned meat and blah, blah, blah. And it says, you know, high concentration meat. And I think I'm doing a good job. I'm clearly not. So if they've been fed this for the last six years, how do I transition them to, and the thing is the bowl has always got a little bit of food in there. And I don't think that's good either because I I think as humans, we shouldn't be grazing all day. I mean, I fast and I eat one meal a day yeah, and I'm quite happy with that. I think that's what, you know, if you look at a lion, you know, it's always pretty much lying underneath a tree surrounded by its harem looking jacked. It's not going to the gym and it's only not grazing all day. You know, ruminant animals graze all day. It goes out and hunts maybe once or twice. Once, once in a day or, or once every two days and, and then it feeds, you know, and that's it and it sustains itself. Is a cat, for example, the same? Should it just be having one meal a day or should I be giving it several meals in a day and 
gradually introducing the meat and and the, the previous diet that it, ha- it was used to? Or should I just transfer and change over? So I, I really want some guidance here. Yeah, it, cats, because of because they've had more uh, taste enhancers used in their food are very much more difficult to swap over. Mm. You know, with a lot of dogs, they will swap over straight away and they'll think Christmas has arrived every day. <laughs> Give a dog a bone. Give a dog a bone. It is a butcher's dog, you know? <laughs> yeah. It wasn't fit as a grocer's dog, was it? <laughs> you know, th- these sayings are truisms. Um, and if you remember back, you know, when you were a kid, you walk down the street, if there was a bit of dog poo in the street, if you kicked it, it's, you know, it shattered and it went to dust. Yes. And, you know, one of the reasons, and this is a really important reason that isn't really being discussed, because so much of the plant material is insoluble, indigestible fibre, when it goes through, the, the, you know, the dogs and the cats, it comes out the other end and it's still indigestible and insoluble. So it sits there. And this is why we've got problems with our parks and people have to go around picking up, you know, dog poo and, and yeah. all the rest of it. Because it sits there. It, it can't be broken down. The insects can't break it down particularly well either. And it's so, even worse now. You've got these people going around thinking they're, all, they're really, really good, putting their dog poop in plastic bags and then just leaving them there. You know, I was so incensed this summer when I went down to Cornwall where my in-laws live and we're walking along the beach and there's dog poop in a plastic bag on the beach. Yeah, take it home. Put it in a bin. You know, there's, there's usually plenty of them around provided. How moronic. <laughs> How lazy and moronic. You might as well just leave it outside the bag. At least it will get broken down some way. But in a plastic bag on the beach. I mean, the, the one advantage, obviously, if, if it's in a bag, then, you know, if a kid does step on it, it you know, as long as the bag doesn't pop, you should be OK. Yeah. But from that point of view, but it's. You know, we, we've got a problem in our environment because of how we're feeding them. Um, and, it, you know, they, they have health problems as well. I mean, cats, if you go back to, to, the, to the cats, because, because you got them, um, you know, they originated primarily as desert animals. So a lot of their, um, their water, their, you know, their moisture would come from eating that fresh food from their fresh meat. Um, and so... You know, I think that's one of the reasons why cats will often end up with kidney failure because they haven't evolved perhaps to drink. I mean, they do drink water, obviously, but perhaps, you know, if, if they tend to, to think that they rely more on their food to, to, as a source of water and, you know, there's different types of water as well, what you get in the tap and what you get in the body, there's, you know, water is something we don't fully understand. Um, and if you're aware of full phase water. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, buddy. Oh, oh good yeah. boy. Oh, yeah. And um, so, you know, I think how we take that, that food, that, we, that water we get in our food, you know, we will get full phase water that way because of the hydrophilic membranes and, and, and the cell contents of the water and all the rest of it. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's so much more complicated than... Than it's, than it's made out to be. And once you start understanding some of the subtleties of water and, and actually that, you know, there's micronutrients in those, in those cells because of what that, you know, beast has done during their lifetime. You know, you look at farmed fish and versus raw, you know, wild caught, and they look completely different. You know, if you look at salmon, for example, the yeah, colour yeah, yeah. of the meat is completely <clears throat> different. So again, you know, this is, takes back to the whole Franken meat ridiculous. The idea that they can grow meat in a, in a petri dish, 
you know, the micronutrients that get stimulated by the activity just aren't there. Um, it's, you know, it, it is Franken meat is a, is a really good, good, good word for it. And, and of course, you know, that will be true. You know, they'll try and push our pets onto that as well because they can't, you know, they're not going to start farming animals just for the pet foods. You know, they obviously want to want to stop us having it. Um, huge investments into the whole Franken food idea and the demonization of, of, of farm animals over climate scam. Um, is all part of the parcel to you know control us and control you know keep the population ill and they won't they won't actually be able to and to, 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 to object and they won't have the energy to object than if we're all fit and healthy and thinking actually do you know everything we've been taught about health and nutrition and, and everything else is wrong and actually if we'd been left to our own devices we'd probably be a lot better hundred percent. My friend, listen, I'm sorry, I'm going back to my cats. That's right. So should I be feeding them once a day? Once or twice. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, as you quite rightly say, uh, if you see the if you see the David Attenborough programs again, it is very much um, that th- they will, they, you know, they'll make their kill, they'll mm. eat what they can before the hyenas or whatever else push them off. Um, and then... If they've had enough, they're okay. They'll, they'll lie around all day, and if they haven't had quite enough because somebody pushed them out before they would fill, then they've got to go and hunt again and find something else and make sure they do get their daily requirement. But primarily, you know, they they they're basically working on a keto diet, aren't they? And would they eat chicken livers? Yeah, I mean, certainly the smaller the birds, the more likely they are to eat the whole thing. Um, some of the bigger beasties, they, you know, they will, you know, this is again one of the, one of the myths that surrounding raw feeding that, um, you know, raw uh, dog cats and uh, wolves will eat uh, stomach contents. They don't, they actually pull the, the, the guts out because obviously they're pretty toxic and they will drag the stomach around and empty the contents and eat the, the stomach walls as, you know, tripe. And they will get some, very small amount of, of plant material that's obviously stuck to the to the stomach walls, but but you know it's a minuscule amount compared to to, to anything else. And yeah, you know they they so they will eat some organ meat. They won't eat a lot. Um, you know, liver is you know, obviously quite nutritious as well. You know, um, and again, I'm looking to the carnivore diet. There's some some. Um, some carnivore advocates will say we shouldn't, that we don't need to eat um, organ meat. And there'll be others that say we do get good nutrition and good nutrients from them. So, you know, everybody could choose their own way and what's right for one isn't right for all. But on the whole, uh-huh. and this is one of the things I think Dr. Chaffee said, you know, you, you don't find um, members of the same animal species in the wild. You know, oh, I can't eat that. You know, they, they all eat everything. You know, all all their species appropriate stuff. They eat it all. There's, you know, the idea. You know, you get pet food these days. Oh, we can we can make a pet food for your breed or even for your individual. And it's like, well, that's just rubbish. You know, that that in itself says that you're trying to engineer something that nature never intended and we don't need. And actually, the more I've sort of been involved uh, in as being a vet, you know, the more we interfere, the more we tend to mess things up. And oh, yeah. you know, things get well despite of us half the time. Um, 
And my, my first boss used to say to me, you know, the cure gets blamed on what you're giving at the time. And, you know, very often you know, there's, there's this idea that we, we cure animals. We cure nothing. <laughs> animals and people only ever heal themselves. Anybody who says nothing, anything else hasn't got a clue about medicine or the body or biology. All you can do is weigh the probability in the favor of the body being able to self-heal itself. And that includes if you're setting a bone, you don't heal the bone. You put them in opposition and you fix them in place so that the bone can heal itself. If you're trying to give a drug or a herb or whatever, whichever way you're trying to give some sort of supplement, all you're trying to do is create an environment in the body where the body's able to sort it out itself. The difference between the pharmaceutical route and the natural route from my experience is that if you use the pharma route, you're interfering with something. And, and unfortunately, the, a, lot, a lot of the philosophy behind it is we treat you with that disease, with that drug, and unfortunately, it causes some side effects. So you need another one for that. And then you need another 100%. one for that. And then you need another one for that. Whereas, you know, my philosophy with, with what I do in my veterinary work is I, I try and heal, actually, you know, or make the body... Give it the the tools that it needs to heal itself, so that I'm no longer necessary. Um, and it's a bad business model because you keep curing things and then they don't come back until <laughs> it goes wrong again. And if you've done it right and you've got them on the right diet, a lot of the time they don't have to come back. Certainly for the, for the more medical things. So you know, health becomes a question of um, of maintain you know proper maintenance. And if we if we maintain things properly, then, you know, our natural human natural lifespan is you know, probably 120, 150 years old. You know, if you look at cattle, their natural lifespan is 20 to 30 years old. But, you know, unfortunately, they've been pushed so hard um, in the in the farming. And you know, this isn't because of the farmer farmers exactly. They are doing what they've been asked to do and what's been demanded of them in terms of food production. So the idea that farm farmers don't like their animals and don't care for their animals is complete rubbish. You know, I've seen farmers in tears o over the loss of you know th their animals, and it's that they are forced because of uh, supermarket price squeezing and all the rest of it to um, produce cheap food that you know it was demanded after. Second World War primarily for us now, and um, you know they they've done what they were asked to do, and then they get penalised for doing it and, and vilified for for doing it. But you know it's um, there there are better ways. Regenerative farming, thankfully, is starting to increase and and, uh, and sort of become more popular. And I would urge people, you know, find find your local farmer who sells direct and buy direct. Support your farmers; they'll get a much fairer price for their food and um, it'll give them the freedom and the ability to be that much more extensive. Um, you know, I found a great, a great farmer friend, John, if you're watching, good to see you, mate. And um, he does raw, raw dairy. So he's got about 50 cows on, on his farm. The, the calves stay on the cows the whole time until they naturally wean. And, he, he provides raw dairy, so I get raw milk. By the way, can I just... Are you talking about my farmer? My first podcast was someone, Jonathan Chapman. And I get Di my meat... Different John. 
regenerative farmer just down the road. I get all my meat directly from him. It's the best tasting meat. It's really affordable. It's better than anything in the supermarket. And to be honest, I've been to very fancy restaurants and I, better than any steak from a fancy restaurant. And it's just incredible. And everything you say, look, there's, you've just spoken for so long. I'm, I'm trying to remember everything, but like about the healing, I 100%. I tell my patients as an orthopedic surgeon, I don't heal your bone. I put the bones in the right place. When it's an unstable fracture, all I'm doing is an, an improving the environment and the capacity for your body to heal itself. And the reason why we can take pins and plates out is because they're not necessary. After they've done that initial job of providing stability, the bone is actually healed on its own. It's healed. And my job is to help the body's natural healing capacity. I'm not curing anything. And I also tell my patients that I'm an ethical surgeon and a really shit businessman because if I was a shit, if I was a great businessman, I'd be injecting and operating and everything that came through the door. I'd be doing repeat consultations and keep coming back. I want repeat customers. But actually what I want to do is treat people non-optively, non-interventionally, advise them, educate them how they can heal themselves. I never have to see them again. Um, so that kind of reinforces everything you've just been saying. I can't believe how common so much of our philosophies are. And it's really, it's really nice to hear this coming from a vet. But are you, I feel like I'm quite unusual as a surgeon for thinking and practicing the way I do. Are you quite unusual as a vet or are most vets thinking along the same lines as you? Um, I'm pretty unique. I mean, I use technology that most people, <clears throat> most people have never heard of. Certainly no, there's one piece of kit I've been using for 25 years that as far as I'm aware, I'm still the only vet in the country using it. Um, and I actually started off the whole veterinary industry for that, for, for that device as far as I'm aware. Um, I was it's a Russian, it was developed in Russia. It's a microcurrent stimulation device that works on a biofeedback so it's got 80 to 90% success rate in treating all conditions of which two thirds would be a cure. Is this like a bioresonance device? No, uh, it's, it's microcurrents. The bioresonance, I do bioresonance as well, but that's slightly different. So I have no idea about any of this. I mean, but is it woo-woo stuff or is it legit? The science is phenomenal. And, but that's the big myth. Everybody tries to make out that there's no science behind it. And it's like, well, do you know what? Most of the science we taught in school is completely wrong. You know, we aren't, Solid. We are when you go down to the, the fundamental particle level of 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 what we are. We are neutrinos and electrons and quarks and and bundles of energy. Jack Cruz, who's a consultant neurologist, and I, I had him on my podcast. He he basically broke it down and said we're beings of light, yep. magnetism, and, and fields. water, and fields, and fields. Yeah, yeah. yeah, magnetic fields, you know, like that, and and water. And it was just it was just all about photons, magnetic fields. Yeah. And water, which is and where you're coming. Down. Yeah, absolutely. We are, we are, we are frequency beings. You know, it is our physical. Uh, for- you, you, you've got a nice frequency, by the way. Thank you. You're it, meant to say something nice about me. Now. Well, <laughs> I think I think we're very similar. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll take that one. Thanks. <laughs> um, so yeah, you know. So talk about the science behind this, because this is totally new to me. And by the way, listen, I'm on a journey. I mean, I haven't got it here, but, you know, I had a homeopath, Alan Freestone, here last week. I don't, I don't know how it works. 
I'm open to it. I'm open to anything nowadays. So, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't claim to know anything. The more I, I find things out, the more I realize I know Jack. So I'm just a dumb orthopod. So tell me about this electrofrequency thing. Like, what is it called and what's the science behind it? And what kind of stuff can you treat? And then the next question is, you know, could we use it on humans? Are, is anyone using it on humans? Yeah, I treat people as well. Um, but yes, but as, as a human practitioner, obviously not as a vet. Um, <laughs> but obviously there are some crossovers. Um, yeah, it was developed, oh gosh, in, in Russia probably 40, 50 years ago. Um, uh, it took a little while before it came out and was obviously being sort of um, honed in Russia first. Um, so Alexander Karasev, who's the guy who originally invented it, he, um, if you go back to the old USSR, you know, we're all equal, but some are more equal than others. So anybody who showed any aptitude, whether it was athleticism or academia, were taken out of the system and taken somewhere, you know, special academies where they were trained and pushed for the good of the state. Um, so Alexander was obviously a bright guy. He did a joint degree in medicine and electronics, and he recognised, and I think that also, going uh, slight, slight aside again, um, Russia being on its geographical situation with China and, and then the West on, the, on either side. So doctors in Russia used to be taught traditional Chinese medicine, including five element theory, acupuncture, all the rest of it, um, pulses uh, and, and tongue diagnosis, everything. So they learned that in, in duality with Western medicine. So they had that, that knowledge. So he recognized that the body is electrical. Every cell has an electrical potential nerves work on sort of electrical principles as well and there are bioactive points around the body which uh, prof teller in california discovered have got different electrical resistances to the skin around them so the idea that acupuncture points don't exist is completely rubbish i've actually got a russian piece of kit you can see the acupuncture points light up in the dark and so he recognized that wherever you get pathology you get changes in the electrical properties of the skin over it so, but he also recognized if you're going to communicate with the body, you've got to have a signal that the body recognizes as physiological. So he built a component electronically. How you do that, I have no idea. But he um, built a component where <clears throat> it meant that the signal coming out of the device after it had gone through the skin looked like a nerve impulse on, um, on an oscilloscope. So it looks wow. it looks physiological. So because that's that's the language the body communicates with. So and he also discovered that wherever you get pathology, you get changes in the electrical properties um, that correspond to where the pathology is happening deeper in. So once the device finds an area on the skin surface that corresponds to a pathology deeper in, and it could be an organ malfunction or it can be a physical injury then it will put a signal into the body to get the body to address that. So the original mode that it did actually amplified the pathological signal to the brain. So then the brain goes, oh, bloody hell, didn't realise it was that bad. Better do something about it. So the um, C-fibres of the nerve uh, system release neuropeptides. And when they've always studied them in Russia, they've always had an action switching on, switching off genes. So you get these neuropeptides, which regulate a lot of our healing and, and body function. So when you get a big flood into the area of that, the body just basically heals itself. 
But in putting that signal response, that initial signal in, it changes the parameters that the device is measuring. So then you end up in a situation where that changes the signal coming in the next time. So you've got a feedback loop happening. So the body starts to be being treated in real time according to to the individual. So it's treating the individual, the individual placement on the device in that time and space. And that's why it's so effective, because once you're switching off genes and switching on genes and helping the body to improve its own self-regulation, then what can't it heal? So what kind of stuff does it heal? Like what kind of conditions? Can- In Russia, where they've used it, they use it, you know, they use it from anything from strokes to heart attacks, sports injuries, respiratory, digestive fertility, urinary tract, you know, the whole caboodle. They're still using it? Yeah, in in some areas where they where where there it is, you know, obviously once perestroika came along, pharma went into Russia, and I think there's big pressures to you know to it's probably gone more down the western route than the than the TCM route. I don't know if medical schools are still you know, even teaching the the traditional Chinese medicine like they used to before. Um, and what's this device called? It's called Skinar, self-controlling energy neuroadaptive regulation. Skinar. Yeah, I've got one in the car. I'll show you after. Yeah, show me afterwards. And um, so it's an amazing piece of kit. So, for example, mm. if, if someone's had a stroke, then if they can get to that person within 12, in 24 hours, but preferably within 12 hours, they can work as a team pretty much around the clock and get 100% recovery in seven days. Wow. Wow. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. I mean, I've had, I've had a result where I was, you know, someone had had a minor stroke some months previously, but had been left with vision deficits. So from from left left eye down and left by left back, you know, there was no there was no vision there. Continually knocking things over with her with her left arm. So she came for some treatment at the recommendation of a friend. And um you know, I treated her for the first time and uh, she came back for the second treatment and I said to her, you know, how are you how are you doing? She said, well, I haven't really noticed anything differently much. And I said, okay, that's fair enough. But I said, you're obviously being monitored by the hospital situation. I don't like treating people without a hope of getting a result. But on the other hand, I don't want to stop treating if we're going to get some response, because obviously this isn't, your stroke had been some six months previously. So I said, you know, have a chat with your neurologist and see if there's a way that we can monitor what's going on to see, you know, if we can, if we're making a difference with what we're doing. So she said, oh, okay, we had this big long conversation, did the second treatment and she went home, phoned me half an hour later and said, oh, my sight's just come back. Wow. So let me just put my devil's hat, hat on, devil's advocate hat, right? Like, yeah. let me just say, what happens, like, we've just mentioned earlier on the body heals a lot on its own. Yep. You leave things long enough, it'll heal on its own. How do you know a lot of this isn't just time, placebo, and the body naturally healing, and it just coincides with while you're doing the Skinner treatment? Is there any actual evidence, research done, showing that, you know, 100 people treated with this or 1,000 people treated with this and comparing it with another treatment and there's an improvement? I mean, they have done some research in, in Russia, but, you know, they are private relatively small companies doing it so they haven't got a lot of money to put into it into, into the research and my my bottom line when i when i'm doing my working is 
does it make a difference? Does it make an improvement? You know, the probability of that woman having her sight come back within half an hour of treatment when it hadn't changed fundamentally for six months. Yeah, you could, you, I can't prove it a hundred percent that, that it wasn't, you know, that it was going to, that it wasn't going to come right at that point in time. But the chances that the probability of improvements happening in the vicinity to the treatments, you know, it, you know, that it wouldn't, it would, I would, I would get a lot more failures than I do put it that way. So can you treat Skinner for like headaches? You can use it for anything. Anything. Absolutely. And that's the danger. You know, if, 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 if every household had its own device, um, if, if you imagine if it just knocked out the ibuprofen market, what that would do financially to the farmer, you know, so yeah, it's got, it's got huge potential, but it's a huge threat. And people who use it like me are perceived as very threatening to the medical establishments. How many treatments do you need for, say, a condition? Like how many applications do you need? It varies. It varies because, uh, you know, there's a lot of things I'm not going to say, but I mean, like I will say, like, for example, people with a bad back, they go to see a chiropractor and like give a little squish and a little click and a little crack and they've reduced, you know, realigned their bones. And you and I know you can't realign your bones. You know, you don't get a dislocated spine and put it back. And it, that's nonsense. But they get, you know, they get a little bit of a massage and a bit of release of the fascial tissues. And, and I've had it and it feels great, but it's great repeat business because they go oh you have to keep coming back every two weeks and i'll click you and i'll do this and i'll do that and but it doesn't actually address the underlying problem so what i'm trying to say is is this kind of like just a come and get 20 treatments or is this kind of thing that you know you do two or three times and it's fixed the problem i think i'll dispute some of what you said there (laughs) (laughs) go ahead um you can you can dispute it go for it and i i think Probably what we think of, you know, from from a Western medical point of view in terms of dislocation is actually different from from a misalignment. You know, you're talking very, very subtle um, changes. But, you know, that sort of small change, as you quite rightly say, will will have an effect on on the myofascial around it and all the rest of it. Um, And there's a whole extracellular matrix that. Alfred Pischinger worked out that's all involved in communication around the body. So, and know, the fascia, and the fascia. The fascia and we we don't have a clue about fascia. No, but what I'm saying is like when I hear people say, you know, I've realigned your spine, and patients come to me and say, you know, my my hip was dislocated, and it's like your hip doesn't dislocate unless it's gone through major trauma. So, I mean, maybe we're just splitting hairs, and it's yeah. the it's the it's the, it's the nomenclature, it's the, it's the description that I'm I'm questioning. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, that's. I think. I think there's an element of that for sure. Um, but certainly, I've treated. I've treated someone who had a scoliosis, and we straightened the spine with, with uh, using the scanner um, in one session. One session. Yeah. Wow, I'm really struggling. Not, not, a, not a major. No, it wasn't. You know, it was. A, it was a relatively minor scoliosis, but it it did it. Okay, so I could get that if it's muscular spasm related so for example when my back goes off once every two years i i'm in a scoly position i'm my i'm I'm totally twisted i was at, i was actually at a, at a veterinary conference in the states and it was one of the organizers of the conference <laughs> who uh, had scoliosis 
She'd had it for all her life. Oh, so this is congenital or, or developmental? Developmental, I suspect. Right, right. I've got a theory about that as well. But um, so, and, and she organized the conference, you know, it was one of the things she did pretty much every year. And it was a three-day conference and she was on her feet a lot. And, you know, sort of day two and three, she was having to take a lot of painkillers, you know, to, to, to get through it. So um, I treated her on day one. And she came to the end of the conference and said, you know, I haven't had to take any painkillers this year. Wow. So how much does this device cost? Now you're going to tell me it's multiple thousands of pounds. Well, it is, but it's not a huge. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's roughly how much then? They're about seven or eight thousand, I think. What? Seven or eight thousand pounds? It's not a huge amount in the grand scale of things. Now, if you think back to Monty, was it Monty Python and the machine that goes beep? Um, you know, 20 grand. Um, so... That's a lot of money. It, it well, if you think about what it does, where do you value your health? Yeah. See, this is a this is a this is a challenge. I think for everybody is like you know, I I try and keep an open mind. I really am trying to keep an open mind, and I am. Yeah. But it's like equally, you don't want to fall and be gullible and be fooled into everything because we know sure. history is littered with snake oils people and people selling things to desperate people who will do desperate things for a cure. Do you know what I mean? So it's that balance of having that healthy skepticism with a bit of an open mind. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's hard yeah. walking that line. And, you know, there's just so much information out there and so many sometimes conflicting things. So if we take, for example, let's just roll back to diets. You know, there's people out there pushing, you know, carbohydrates, great. There's this guy called Lane Norton. You know, he, talk, he, he quotes the literature and how carbohydrates are fantastic and it's a beautiful fuel thing and it doesn't make you fat and it's good for you and, and, and you know, he debunks the carnivores and then you've got people pushing veganism, then you've got people pushing carnivore and, then, and keto and keto paleo. And the thing is, sometimes for your average person, it's like, ah! And it's like, you know, some people say dairy's good for you, but then other people saying dairy's bad for you. <laughs> it's just... There's so much conflicting news. And the problem is all these people have got evidence to back up their claims. Everyone can quote a paper and a scientific thing and say, look, see, I'm right. And for the average person like me, oh man, it's hard. It's just filtering out and just kind of making sense of things. And that's one of the reasons why I've got this podcast, just bringing everybody on to talk about things. And I'm really interested in people who are typically shunned or censored by the mainstream media narrative because I, I think why are they doing that? Because if it's the the truth um doesn't need to be protected. You know, you should be able to like just let the truth get out there. It doesn't you shouldn't control in information. If you're if you're censoring people, then that means there's a lie that needs to be protected. You know, you need to be transparent. You need to get. So that's one of the reasons why I have people like you and all these other guests on board. But yeah, listen, I'm like, I'm totally open to everything. I just, I, you probably don't know this, but I got suspended from work five, six weeks ago. And that's um, where I, I'm not employed directly by them, but I use their facilities and we have this contract. But they suspended me on my social media activity. And that's 80% of my income just yeah. gone at the window. Um, everyone listening, I'm going to plug in. I'm opening a merch store next week. There'll be amazing mugs and sweatshirts and baseball caps and beanies. 
and t-shirts and going to make great Christmas presents. And now you can wear freedom on your head, on your sleeve, and you can even drink from it. So buy it and support me. And um, for all those people who've subscribed to my paid Substack, thank you so much. I love you so much. I've got 350 now. That's Good amazing. Boy. So if you love my podcast and you love my guests, come on, man, dig deep and support me. Cause um, yeah, it's not easy, man. I'm, I'm on my own here. Anyway, moving back. So this is what happens when you speak the truth and yeah. try and get, try and search for the truth. You get punished and censored. So, you know, I'm open to everything you're saying, but seven, 8,000 pounds is like, whoa, it's a lot of money. It is. I mean, obviously I, I use, you know, I get the top of the range practitioner version. There are some home, cheaper home, home unit versions, but I, to be honest, because I just use mine, I don't know a lot about, about where they're at at the moment. Um, and is this thing made in Russia or yes. Germany or all right, Russia? I think there are some made under license outside, um, but the the company that I use are they only operate in Russia? Um, they're the the most advanced. It's really funny that during the Soviet era and the Iron Curtain, it's almost like they just went off and started doing their own thing. Like they just looked into world of medicine and science and health with a completely different lens um, to what was happening in the Western hemisphere and now the curtain fell and some of this is dribbling through and coming across to us now russia is so far ahead of us in probably every field um is it true they don't use any kind of like chemical pesticides or whatever insecticides on their on their agra i don't know i don't know i, I heard it was all organic yeah i mean certainly the scientists over there because they weren't under the same sort of commercial pressure they had the free, gave them the freedom to really use their imagination and experiment and 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 change things. Um, so, and they did a lot of experiment. They did a lot of what they were very much aware of frequency. So the Russia, if you look at um, Russian research into electromagnetic, you know, frequencies and radiation and 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 all the stuff that we get from our mobile phones, etc. They've been aware of the danger of that for many years, for decades. Um, and actually, so have the Americans. There's a great story that um, Russia wanted to do a treaty with, with the United States after the Second World War to stop frequency weapons because they knew how, how potentially harmful they could be. And America refused. So um, the Russians... Of course they did. They refused everything. So the Russians set up a microwave transmitter opposite the... Um, the American embassy in Moscow and basically bombarded the, the American embassy with, with microwaves. And part of that was they were actually using the technique to listen in because they could pick up the rattle of the window and they could hear in by using, using the frequency that, uh, of that subtlety to, to, to listen into conversations. But the, um, yeah, the, the, the CIA or yeah, CIA found out about it and rather than close it down and make an objection, they actually went to, uh, to the embassy and said, "Oh, we, we think there's a, a we think there's a strange virus, so we we need to um, we need to keep taking blood samples off you." So they basically decided to piggyback in on on the uh, on the situation, and I think the uh, it, it, went, it ran from like 1956 to 1973 or something. So it wasn't a short period. And so they, you know, looked at all the blood samples and all the illnesses that were coming out of there. So, you know, all the, all the dangers from 5G and the EMFs and stuff, they're absolutely real. And the microwaves that we keep being told, they, they don't penetrate deeply into the body, so they're not dangerous. So actually, the Russians did some work to say, well, 
actually, if, if your food and your, your water is exposed to the microwaves, then that takes the, it takes the harm in Listen, through, I, through food and water. So I'm totally on board with this because the thing is, like you said, we are in frequency beings. We're, yeah. we're in, you know, that's why we can sometimes even sense and feel the energy of people. We can feel, you know, prickly sensations when some people come in. Yeah. And, um, you know, we, I think there's measurements that show our electric field goes out several feet, if not meters, yeah. which is incredible. Um, so that's all real, realistic. And there's a book called Invisible Rainbow, which I think a lot of people should really read. Yeah, it's, Otham Furstenberg. Yeah, it's absolutely mind-blowing. And this idea that, you know, microwaves and mobile phones and everything, electrical appliances, don't create a field and doesn't affect us is absolutely Rubbish. ridiculous. It's just because we can't see it. You know, if we could see it, we'd be horrified. And 5G is very different from 4G. The energy levels are multiply high and not physiological in any sense. And and it's kind of dangerous and, and that we don't even think about it or there's no discussion. And the moment you just start talking about it, you know, guess what? You get labeled a quack or conspiracy theories. And it's a classic way of debunking you and making you look like an idiot. Oh, 5G, you're questioning 5G, you're a conspiracy theory. You, you're crazy person. And this is the problem that we're in today, that any kind of like debate is just immediately neutered and deca decapitated because, you know, it, you use these tools um, the words like "oh, you're you're you know you're a conspiracy theorist" to just shut down any kind of conversation, and and I find that quite scary. And I definitely believe that EMFs are a problem. Absolutely. And we need and 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 even you know electric cars. So I am guilty of getting an electric car two years ago because it was tax efficient for me. I was told by my accountant, "Oh, guess what? Get a car and you can put it in the company." But it's it's an it's an electromagnetic box that I'm in, and what harm is it causing me? You know. It's yeah. What dangers are there? there? Have I got risk of cancer now, or yes. headaches, or illnesses? You know all, all these of things. That. Yeah, all of that. I mean, one EMFs are one of my one of my little sort of pet in, because of frequency. It's one of real my interests. I've actually written an ebook um, about EMFs. Um, you know, electro hypersensitivity. It was always you know until relatively recently, but people who claimed that they were electro hypersensitive. Uh, we're always, you know, it was, oh, you got psychosomatic, or you know, they'll send you along for for counselling or something. But there's, a, you can actually now get a, a brain scan, um, and it will show differences in the brain from from electro hypersensitivity. So actually, has been confirmed as a, as a genuine condition. So those are the people who are very sensitive, but we're all affected, and it's actually not the power level that is important; it's the amount of exposure. And the fact that we're all continually exposed 24-7 to multiple frequencies, you know, ICNERP, who are the organization who, uh, they, they do, the, it's their recommendations that the governments follow. They're all industry, telecoms industry funded. And they say only harm can only be caused by thermal changes, which is absolutely ridiculous and completely untrue, being proven in thousands, literally thousands of research to show that, um, you know, electromagnetic frequencies um, can, can disrupt our ion channels, especially calcium. And if calcium floods into the cells, it sets up a, an inflammatory cascade. But because that's called a non-specific body reaction, it can happen to other things too. So they sort of hide behind the fact that a lot of the changes are non-specific. So you can't necessarily fully um, tie it down. Mm. To, to to the EMFs, but they absolutely do cause it and there has been a certain lot of proof to it. And there's now been research to show that even if you've been exposed for EMFs, 
the effects in the body will last months after you've had it. So it's actually almost impossible now to do properly controlled experiments with people who've never been or who aren't exposed to EMS because you aren't actually reach a biological physical physiological state where where you were sort of pre-EMF exposure because the effects last so long in the body. So we are storing up absolutely, you know, sort of kids are getting mobile phones at ever earlier ages and and being allowed to stay on them forever longer. And you know you you know, they're looking at a significant risk of cancers later on in life, perhaps 20 years further on down the line. And it's that, again, it's that that time lag before it manifests. It gives them the, 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 the deniability. 100%. And the problem is it's all done slowly, creep, 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 and it's plausible deniability and it's too late. I mean, look, I've got a landline Ethernet here. Um, I'm guilty of not sorting it out in my house. I can sort that for you. Oh, that's great. I need to get, um, I, 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 I do things like turn off the Wi-Fi overnight. That's good. You know, but I don't know what other measures I can take. I don't know if I should start keeping my phone, for example, in a kind of insulated wallet or something. Um, the smart meter, which was fitted a few years ago and totally regret, and I can't now get rid of it because they won't let me. You know, they talk about getting like bits of um, material to block the EMF. I don't know if that is, is actually true or not. Does it actually work? I mean, there's so many things out there about EMF. I just don't know what's true and what's not. Can you shed any light on that? Absolutely. Okay. <clears throat> You've got to be careful with shielding. Yeah. Because actually there are certain natural frequencies. Sponge, spongy, what's it called? There's a material. Well, you get sort of Faraday cage sort of material. No, there's like there's like stone or something. I don't know what it was called. Uh, yeah, Shungite. It That's it, Shungite. No research behind it. What's That's what I thought. Complete load of rubbish. It's a complete... Great. So glad you said that. So Shung- Shungite, don't Shung- buy Shungite. And it's very expensive and they're selling it and you're like, what the heck? Shungite, the, 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 there has been one or two research papers done on Shungite. And what they did was they, they, put, they ground it up, put it in a cream put it on the backs of mice and then put a light over the top of them and said, Oh, look, it stops. It acts as a shield. And it's like, okay, yeah, well. So, so the first time I heard it, I heard shite and I, th- and I think that's what it is. Okay, fine. Let's move on. So, yeah, but a lot of people are selling it and it, you know, it's not a, a magic black hole that just sucks, <laughs> sucks all the EMS in the, in the environment around I, it. No, I kid you not. I've had people come up to me and say, Oh, put this in your water jug and this. And, and I, and I, honestly, my first thought has been shite. I mean, it can be used as a water filter. It's quite good as that because of the fullerene. But again, it's the, the amount of fullerene in Shungite determines whether it's high or low grade, and and the high grade stuff is is you know very very expensive. So, but again, you know, it's okay. Let's move on. So, what what can we do about the EMF business? There is a company called Como Systems, and so how do you spell that? C O M O Systems. Como Systems. Yeah. Okay. Carry on. And I will I will hang my hold my head up and 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 say I, I spoke to the company a few years ago. I was introduced to them by their distributor in Romania, and uh, we had a big chat. And they said, you know a lot about EMFs. Why don't you become our representative for the UK and Ireland? So I did. So I'm I will say here and now I have an interest in in the company. Okay. But the reason I agreed to to do it was because they've got a lot of research behind them. And they, the guys who developed their technology called compensating magnetic oscillators, um, 
they came from the pharmaceutical industry and they recognized that if they were going to do a, a solution to the problem, then they had to approach it in that scientific manner. So they researched it, they produced their devices, and then they got them to independently check, tested and checked. But they also made sure that if they're going to if they're going to do it, then they've got to make a significant difference. So they looked at the biological markers um, to see how they're affected by electromagnetic radiation and how the devices actually help the body normalize that. So what the way that the, the CMOs work is they effectively they're they're not powered, but they are activated by the electromagnetic pollution. And so what happens is when they're agitated, they effectively then emit a signal themselves that's very low. It's 12 hertz, 150 um, femtotesla, which is a very, very, very low magnetic field. But it puts that, that signal on top of the EMFs. And what they do is they have the same resonant frequency as the calcium and the ion channels. So they stabilize them in the body. So it mitigates for the field. So it doesn't interfere with the, with the functionality of your tech, but what it does is it stabilizes the ion channels in the body so that they don't release, up, up, you know, upset the, the ion balance. And so you don't get the inflammation. And uh, so they, they, so they mitigate for, for the EMFs and, uh, you know, they, you know, they, they will mitigate a very high, high percentage of all the things that go wrong. It, some of them they they absolutely counter totally like the calcium, but there are others which they you know they mitigate maybe eighty ninety percent of some of some of the some of them. But you know they are proven, and they're actually mentioned. Uh, the guy who developed it is actually mentioned in uh, the book of magnetobiology, which is the only textbook of uh, magnetobiology that I'm aware of that was written by a Russian, mm. Vladimir Beanie, and. Uh, and they, and they did some work on on the on the CMOs and found that they worked. Cool. I will look into that. I will definitely look into that. Let's go back to water. You talked about four phase of water. I know all about that easy water, four phase of water. Excellent. So we've got like we've got water and in the form of ice, solid. We've got it in the form of you know vaporized steam, gas, and then we've got the liquid form. And then you've got this weird gel-like thing that forms a barrier everywhere. You've got a cell and, and structure and even uh, you know elsewhere. But basically, it helps create this frictionless um, system within our human body, which is absolutely freaking incredible. It's about how the, the mo molecules of water just line up in these hexagonal sheets and they're like slightly different layers and patterns. And it's, yep. they allow for transfer of the electrons and everything. It's just... Mental, and they also form a barrier. Yeah. Um. Now, water. Let's talk about water. So I don't drink tap water. We don't drink tap water. It's no. full of heavy metals, pesticides, insecticides, hormones, antibiotics, he heavy metals, like garbage. Um. You don't want to be drinking it. No. Now, there's different ways you can do it. You can you can get filters and and reverse osmosis. You can distill it. I'll be honest with you. We don't do this for our cats, though. Do it. We should, shouldn't we? <clears throat> yeah. You know, water. We are 99% water by molecule number with two thirds by, by water volume. So the health of the water in us, you know, all, all reactions, everything that takes place happens in our aqueous environment. So, you know, the quality of that water is, is hugely important. Um, you know, we are biophysical. 
And I think, you know, for me, you've got that H2O. So you've got that sort of the O in the middle, and then you've got an H off each side. I think that bond angle is actually what determines our strength, you know, our health. Um, and it gets altered by the, uh, the local electromagnetic fields that are surrounding all the ions, all the proteins, all the protein folding happens as a result of all of this. You know, we, biophysics just isn't recognized. It is fundamental. You know, we shouldn't be taught biochemistry is secondary to biophysics, and yet we're not taught biophysics in medical schools. No. Um, and I'm not even <clears throat> sure how many universities even would have, you know, there's lots of universities that have a bio biochemistry you know, degree course, but I wonder how many of them actually have a biophysical degree course, and yet it is far more fundamental to how we function. And then you've got all the whole quantum aspect of it as well. Yeah, I know. That's a different... Yeah. That's deep. I went to a... To, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not there yet. <laughs> I went to a quantum physics uh, day lecture in, uh, in London this last weekend, which was fascinating. Um, but even then, they didn't mention some stuff that, that I'm aware of. Like what? Go for it. Okay, so you know DNA? Yes. And you know I've never met him personally, but yes. <laughs> nice chap. <laughs> but you know, you've got all these nucleotides and bases and everything, and they they what do they code for? Proteins. Right. Are you just protein? Nope. So what do you think? So if DNA is just coding for proteins, what do you think how do you think your body knows how to make you? Do you know what? I have absolutely no freaking idea how this genetic code business is just un freaking unbelievable. Okay. So we're made of fats, lipids, water, protein, and the sugars there. The DNA is actually made of sugar. There's, you need sugar to make yep. DNA. The DNA is written into RNA. The RNA goes to ribosomes and this prints off this protein. The protein isn't even just printed off. It's, it's convoluted and makes shapes. The shapes of the protein are, are specific. Yeah. And that's why if you get the wrong isomers, you can actually kill or thrive. Yeah. Um, but we're not just proteins. We've got all these lipids and okay. complex things. And yeah. So how does your body know what part of the DNA to read and what not to read? And I don't know. Life is incredible. It is. So it's mental. So we are not just energy beings, but we are informational beings. There has to be an informational input to how we are. Otherwise, we would just be a blob. Yeah. A blob of protein. So there is a whole... Some people are blobs. <laughs> That's because they've eaten too much. <laughs> Carbohydrate. Carbohydrates. You took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah. So there is an informational level behind DNA. So DNA does, does code for proteins, absolutely. But there is, if you also think about it, a bit like a barcode. Um, so if you take your barcode reader into the supermarket and you, you shine it on, on a barcode on the shelf, it will tell you obviously what that product is, but it will also probably tell you how much stock there is and, you know, how much, maybe how much it buy, the cost of it is and what the buying price is and all the rest of it. You have so much, all these different levels of information behind what mm. goes on the shelves. Mm. So our DNA is actually very similar to that. So there is an informational level, and according to Peter Garayev, who left, he led the Russian um, genome uh, team, he used linguistics experts in his team. And when the West was saying there's you know, 95% junk DNA, he was saying, no, that's the instructions, that's the linguistic element that tells the body how to actually, what, what to do with the, with the bit of the DNA that's actually used for coding. 
That makes that makes complete sense. Can I be honest? I never bought the whole junk DNA. What? It's what, not even precise. The, what the, hubris, though? What hubris to to label something you don't understand as oh, it's junk. Well, mean, what arrogance! I think they have they have sort of backed down a little bit from that original position, right? Okay, but, but they haven't fully appreciated. But I think what the Peter thing did. I think the thing is, just because you don't understand something. So going back to like when I see a patient, yeah. I tell them, look, I don't understand your symptoms. I've done all the tests and investigations. I it's not the fact that you're crazy and you're just a crazy person making up these symptoms. It's yeah. the fact that my knowledge is lacking. Absolutely. It's because I don't understand the complexity of your issue. And I, and I used to teach this to the junior doctors. I used to say, do, n- do not fall into the trap that you look at this patient who's desperate, who's anxious, who's, who's to all intents and purposes crazy um, and write them off as crazy because they've probably been to five people who don't understand their symptoms, who are suffering or in pain and keep getting told there's nothing wrong with them. If that doesn't drive you mad, what would? Be sympathetic to them and appreciate this and yeah. have the humility to accept that you don't understand what it is. And as doctors, we quite often think we know everything. And if it doesn't make sense, it's not it's not our fault. It's the patient's fault. And I think it comes back to the, the same principles with science and the body and the world around us. We need to accept that there is so much we don't know. And to yeah. just look at it all with wonder and awe and have an open mind. Yeah, th- absolutely. I think I saw a statistic somewhere. There's about two thirds or 60% of something things that are published in science journals as being absolutely correct and later proven to be wrong. <laughs> yes. So, you know, but the fact that what I do, a lot of it isn't published, you know, I think I'm probably more likely to be right. Um, <laughs> just, no, no, so, just on percentage. Quick, quick digress. Do you yeah. know this whole thing of evidence-based medicine has been totally corrupted? Yeah. So Professor Sackett in Canada, who coined the term evidence-based medicine, actually made a little diagram thing. And, and for each point of the di- um, a triangle, each point of this triangle diagram that he did one was clinical experience so you as a clinician you know treating animals or patients people you know that's your experience over 10 15 20 years you know that's a lot of knowledge you've amassed then there's the patient expectations and values and thoughts about what's going on with their body which you cannot ignore i mean 80 95 percent of a diagnosis is what the patient tells you and then the last one is where you look at peer-reviewed literature and research and real evidence-based medicine was all three of these combined Mm. but then what happened is it's kind of been corrupted to the point where people have like sidelined the clinician's experience the patient's experience and it's now all about the literature what is the literature this paper that's been funded by Pfizer and there's been you know conflicts of interest you know scientists who are, are you know waiting for their research grant you know, depending on the result of this paper, you know, that's science now. That's evidence-based medicine. And it's yeah. couldn't be further from the truth, you Absolutely. know. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, is Amy, sorry, go back to what you're saying. So, so, we, so we, yeah, about, about the DNA. Yes. <laughs> so you've got this whole informational level. So Peter, he he has this, uh, or had this idea that, um, and, the, and, the, and it is held as a, as a physics, a quantum physics uh, idea, that the world is a hologram. And that every, that everything that happens in the in the world is a node on this hologram, and it never gets never gets destroyed. So you know, it's getting bigger and bigger, if you like. Um, so this our, the D, there is information that instructs our our DNA, instructs the body how to how to how to function, held on this um, 
on the on this universal hologram. And what Peter worked out is that um, when a photograph is taken, it just doesn't take your physical appearance because, and ultimately that, but we know that's energy as well. But within that that in, that information within that photograph is the link to the DNA at the time the photograph was taken. And obviously, as we get older, that DNA tends to get damaged, deteriorates. You know, it's part of what happens with aging. We're not 100% efficient in terms of cell replication and all the rest of it. So if you can capture that link to the DNA at the time the photograph was taken, turn it into a sound file and listen to it, your body starts responding to that earlier DNA information. So um, then the diseases and the changes that have happened to the body post that time start to unwind. Mm. And the body is, you know, because our bodies are, you know, but again, people, people perhaps don't realize that your cells are turning over. Your whole body is turning over the whole time, different long bones at, at different speeds to eyes, to gut, to, to, to mucous membranes and skin and all the rest of it. So, you know, the scar that I got when I had my appendix out when I was two, um, that isn't the same scar that I had when I was two. You know, it's been replaced how many, yes. how many times in that time? So if the, um, if, if, if you, know, you could go back to a, a, a DNA information before the time of that scar and the body starts responding to it, then the scar will disappear and, and the, the body will heal. And in Russia, they're actually using this uh, similar, similar sort of sideline parallel process where if you've got a child born with a congenital disorder, you can use a sibling's photograph and use their sound file. And then the child who's got the congenital disorder will tend to develop without the congenital disorder because they're working on another DNA information, but it's very close. So it's, it's resonant enough that the body will, will respond to it. That sounds insane. It's been done. I'm, I'm not going, I'm yeah, just saying it, but it sounds insane. Oh, so it does, you know, but again, it's, Do you know what? I really it. want to go to Russia now. It's part of how we've been programmed that these things aren't possible. Yeah. But once you accept that the body is frequency, then, yeah, we can, you know, we can interfere with frequency. We did it at school in physics experiments. You know, you drop a pebble into, into the water and then you drop two and you see the interference patterns. Well, we know frequency interferes with frequency. So to treat a frequency being with anything other than frequency is highly illogical. Um, but it also, so, yeah. No, so. listen, I'm totally open to all of this. So, I mean, the thing is like, pharm a lot of people don't appreciate that pharmaceutical drugs act on the whole as blockers. They block normal yeah. or metabolic pathways, physiological processes. So they're blocking something. Yeah. And that blocking, that blockage results in side effects. Yeah. And that's the problem. Um, so, you know, what you want to do is things where you either detoxify or enhance metabolic function. You want to improve the metabolic function of cells, improve the mitochondrial function, yep. detox things that are blocking the natural pathways, the heavy metals and the organophosphates or whatever else it is. And, and, and where there's nutritional deficiency, optimize that. And you want to fuel the body properly, yep. you know, with ketones, for example, not carbohydrates. Um, and so, you know, if we are energy beings and we're light beings and we're water beings, surely part of that, medicinal treatment will be to optimize the frequency of us that you know optimize the light within us and optimize the water within us and mainstream medicine alpha doesn't really focus on any of that it's got no concept of any of it because it doesn't fit it doesn't fit into what it can do some people might be thinking we're totally woo-woo now 
They might do, but then <laughs> we're, we're talking science because this is actually, you know, our mad has gone mad. <laughs> this this is actually what what science is really about. It's like having people having a proper discussion, and there are, you know, there are good research projects that have been done that prove all these things. You know, the idea that quantum physics or physics actually isn't in the real world. It's just something they do in universities and talk about physics. And we did it at school and that's it. It's actually, no, this is actually how the world functions. We are, once you recognize we are, we are frequency beings, everything has to, you know, everything has got to, got to, to come from that. And as I said earlier, right at the beginning, you know, this is an illness industry, not a health industry. So pharma hasn't got any interest in actually recognizing who we are fundamentally, because that would actually have an implication on how they want, uh, you know, how they should be acting and they don't want to go there. So listen, we haven't touched upon something. We, I 100% agree with you. 100% everything. I mean, I, I always say like the NHS is not the National Health Service. It's the National Harm Service. You know? It benefits pharma. Yeah, it's there now. It's designed, the centralized structure is there to feed into pharma, to make patients lifelong drug users. And, you know, it's not good. No, absolutely. But, you know, but, but you know, to put the other side of it, you know, doc- I mean, doctors in yourself, you know, surgeons are, are doing the best that they can with their absolute 100% best intention because that's how, that's how they've been taught. Listen, and, and there's a difference between trauma, right? Listen, if you're in a car accident and, you know, We've got some pretty amazing surgery and treatment, trauma, yeah, life-saving absolutely. surgery. Okay, absolutely. So let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. No. But what I'm trying to say is chronic health, yeah. chronic illness. I think, you know, 95% of what we're saying is, you know, basically lifestyle and food. Yeah. And and equally, you know, we get told that, you know, you've got genetic problems. It's all gen- And we need the, the, the answer and solution is gene therapy and genetic therapy. Actually, again, 95% of disease is disease. And it's lifestyle, environmental, food, yep. and it's not genetic. And the thing is, you need to get rid of this idea that we need gene therapy to treat all these problems. Actually, no. The answers are really simple. It's lifestyle measures. Folks, stop grazing all day. Have one or two meals a day within a short eating window. Go heavy on the carnivore, if not fully carnivore. Source your water properly. Make sure it's pure and clean. Um, reduce the EMFs. Get some decent exercise. Go to sleep on time. Be in tune with your circadian rhythm. Get light. Have love and companionship and yep. connection. Do not be lonely. Do not be unloved. Do not have hatred and anger and have a, a, a horrible frequency. You know, these are the simple measures that don't cost a lot of money no. and don't profit anyone. Listen, um, I think I kind of know the answer, but I went on a journey where I... You know, I've now gone to the point where I wouldn't want any more vaccinations ever yep. for anyone I love or myself. I've stopped my cats from being vaccinated. Yep. You know, my wife used to take them for a yearly checkup and they would just jab them. Oh, blah, 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 blah. And then my my wife has, you know, gone away from the idea of jabbing. Yep. You know, she was, she was like, oh, yeah, jabs are the best thing since sliced bread, like everyone else around us. Um, but now she's like, no, no, we don't want these jabs. Um, but she still was like going to take them to the vet and have the cats jabbed. And I was like, whoa, 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 why? And she said, like, oh, yeah, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, you're right. Why? So what's your stance on jabbing cats because or dogs or any other animals? Because I'm of the view now, the vaccines, rather than improving your immune system and enhancing it, impair the immune system. What's your take on this? Well, no surprise, I'm not hugely a million miles away from you. But um, 
you know, there's a risk at the end of the day, there is a risk both ways. You know, there is no such thing as, as, as no risk. So it's a question where you draw your line in the sand. So my advice for, for young, young animals is, you know, and again, it's, there's, there's again, no one rule fits all. And this is, this is you not giving advice to people. This no. is you just giving your opinion. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, there's a lot of scientific research evidence to prove that, that vaccination gives immunity for life. So if people decide that they need, uh, you know, want they want their, their dogs or their cats to have their, their, their initial vaccinations, then, you know, that there is good evidence to suggest they don't need any further ones beyond that. Because as you are well aware, I'm sure a TETA test is not a measure of your immune status. It's a measure of your current challenge. Yes. So, you know, it just, and, and TETA tests can't measure memory cells. So if your dog has a TETA test and if it's got any positive response to the TETA test, then your dog has got immunity or your cat has got immunity because the memory cells are there in the background and maybe the antibody levels aren't high because your animal isn't being challenged in its environment at this point in time. Um, so we don't need to boost, artificially boost uh, immunity levels if they're not being challenged. If the TETA test is high, then it's naturally being boosted by meeting the challenge on a regular basis and the body's naturally keeping the antibody levels high. So there's, you know, we don't need to do all, all this vaccination. And certainly in, in the animal vaccinations, I think they're still using the, the thymosal very, very much more than that. That's, I think that's a mercury-based thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I think they've moved away from it in a little bit in the, in the human side, but they've gone to squalene, which actually is very similar to... Shark. Yeah. But it's very similar to other, other, other products in the body. So actually all you're going to end up doing is inducing an autoimmune disease because... The antibodies are going to happen to the squalene and then they're going yeah. to attack the body's tissues that are very similar. Even with this gene therapy, I had JJ Cui on, I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He's a fantastic, you know, scientist. And basically he was saying the problem is your your body's now facing this position where it's never really faced before, where it's its immune system, its police, its, its security forces aren't able to identify self from non-self. Yeah. That's the whole point of the immune system where it goes, hey, you're not meant to be here or you're in the wrong neck of the woods, buddy. Because the reality is we have got this viral fungal yeast bacterial biome yeah. and it varies whether it's in our skin, eyes, gut. There is no part of our body that's sterile. There are bacteria and these things everywhere. And some, some of them are, you know, specific to a certain part of the body and actually function in a kind of like almost symbiotic relationships they're making hormones they're digesting things or they're keeping the nasty ones away so we were in this constant kind of balance and when when you have this immune system that's now struggling to identify what cell is self or not self that's when you start getting autoimmune problems and yep. allergy problems allergy being where it's overreacting to for example if say tourists have arrived somewhere in your country they're just tourists right but now your national defense force, your army is attacking the tourists. They shouldn't be doing that. No. So that's not like an allergy or if it's an autoimmune condition where the army is shooting its own citizens, <laughs> they should be doing that either. Yes. And that, that's a, that's a fundamental problem with the, you know, the gene transfection that's given their proper term, uh, 
products. And that's one of the reasons why I wrote a, a letter of concern to the Veterinary Medicines Directive, because there's oh, good for you. The pretend, potential use of the mRNA technology in, in animals. And my concern is that they will produce prion diseases, a bit like BSE, um, and obviously that goes into the food chain. But the you know the these the, this whole platform of um, of of vaccines inverted commas um, you know they are fundamental the whole platform is fundamentally dangerous because as you quite rightly say once you start getting a cell to manufacture any sort of protein whether it's spike protein or any other protein that they choose for any other sort of equivalent jab then you know they get expressed on our own cell membranes. And so you are training the body to attack those cells. And yes, some of those antibodies will attack some of the proteins that have been induced on the surface. Um, but if, you know, it just naturally happens is some of the other proteins that are nearby in, in those cell membranes will automatically be attacked as well. So you're, and the, and the antibodies are being taught to attack those those proteins too. So, you know, I think autoimmune disease, unfortunately, is is one of the um, sequelae we haven't actually fully encountered yet. Do you it's see? Like, do you see much of this in animals? Autoimmune disease isn't uncommon, yeah. And again, but a lot of it happens again because of the bad diet. Because you get a leaky gut syndrome, you then get particles crossing into the blood that shouldn't be there. The body attacks them, and you know some some of those. Um, and again, it happens with them, some of the vaccines. They're being raised in, you know, in in animal samples or collagen samples or uh, you know, egg eggs or whatever else, different cell lines. So you know, the, the vaccines obviously that they're aimed to do a certain immunological role to get an antibody against the disease that you're vaccinating against. But just the way that they're manufactured means that there's a there's a likelihood that there's going to be other material in there. That the, that the immune system is also going to respond to him, which creates problems in, in us in other ways. And a lot of that could be autoimmune. Um, so again, you know, diet vaccines, all the, all these things that we are done with, with, with the best intention to help people actually, you know, don't, uh, you know, I, you know, at the end of the day, as you say, we, you know, we are an ecosystem in ourselves. Yeah. You know, we're, we're 10% human cells, 90% biome cells. It's mental. <laughs> and it is, isn't it? And, and yet, you know, if we think of all, all the scientific things that we've tried to do, introduce measures, biological measures we've tried to do into the environment to control, I don't know, pests or, or things, they've always gone wrong. There's always but, been yeah. some, some, something parallel but, but that's gone wrong. And it's the same in our body because it's, it's just a, a micro of the macro but it's it's the same absolutely it's the same thing though that we're seeing this war on germs war you know on um, terror war on drugs all these wars <laughs> just profit well exactly you know the whole the whole economy is a war-based economy and it's it's used but it's using those terms then normalize war as a concept in our psyche as well so then when they say oh we're going to war with this other nation you know oh it's going for war against against bacteria or war against cancer and you go well, it's not exactly the same at all but you know that whole language has been normalized and and you know we've been desensitized to actually what the implications of of, of these things are and you know 
This, Do you know this, what it is? This is where everything's gone gone so wrong. So wrong. And everything's linked. And and Graham Hancock did this amazing documentary on um, Ancient Apocalypse. I, th- I love it. And one of his quotes is, the human humans are suffering from amnesia. You know, I think we've forgotten who we are, like where we come from. We've been on this planet a long time, like two million years, a million years. I don't think we came out, came out of a cave 10,000 years ago. No. You know, we, we our history has been lost in time now. And, and we've forgotten that, you know, we are these energy-like magnetic beings. We've forgotten what it's like to eat properly and, and be healthy. Yeah. And we've forgotten our history. And we are doomed to making these same mistakes again and again because ultimately there's a predator predator class. And so I, I saw this on um, on X. I have to just say it, it was just brilliant. The predators use the psychopaths to enable the parasites to live off the muggles and crush the mavericks. Yeah. I think we fall into the maverick category. Yeah, I certainly have been accused of that in the past. <laughs> but you, you see, that's a layer. Absolutely. And then um, what we need is we need a predator and psychopath mitigation strategy. How do we stop those people from abusing us and our pets? Because it's done to our pets as well. We love our pets, you know, because they're abusing us. They're abusing us left, right and center. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, it is, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's money driven, isn't it? Um, one of the things that I've sort of done over the last, two or three years, which I'd never really done before when I had time on my hands was to, you know, to look at some of the, the music videos on, on YouTube and some of the video reactions. In the last few months, I came across um, an amazing artist who's just starting to, to, to get into people's psyche called Ren. Oh, I love Ren. So if you've seen, I that, love Ren. If you've seen the money game one, two and three, you'll, you'll understand okay, why. I haven't seen that one. You need to see money game parts one two and three um three is amazing and uh anybody who watches that will understand everything that is wrong with society have you ever heard of ed griffin no. the creature from jekyll island he writes about the federal reserve and the central okay. banking cabal yeah, yeah. Well, I've, I've sort of aware of all that as well He's 92 yes. i i had the honor and privilege of speaking to him and i urge everyone to listen to that podcast yeah absolutely Blows your mind, you know. And money, money is an invention. It is, and, and we're chasing, we're chasing it, and the whole system has already collapsed. Really, they're just trying to prop it up. Hundred percent crisis after crisis. To, the Ponzi scheme. It is, and they're just justifying, you know, counterfeiting more money. They call it quantifying, uh, quantitative easing. But if if you and I did it, we'd be in jail for counterfeiting. <laughs> um, but that's ex- <laughs> that's exactly what it is, and. It's, it's all coming down to control, isn't it? Ultimately, um, we just got to keep our eyes and ears way, awake and use cash. And uh, yeah, it's 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 all it's all chasing it's all chasing status and power and, and money, and it's all intertwined. And you know, I, I say to people, you know, when I first qualified, you know, you come out of uni and you think you know quite a lot because you've studied for your finals. And same you, same you, with the doctors. The rest of it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, you know, and having been in practice for, you know, 30 years, you realise, do you know what? I probably know 10,000 times more than I knew when I first qualified. And, and you use probably less than 1% of what you were taught. And I, I recognise that I know less than 0.1% of what there is to, to learn. And that's being very, very optimistic. You know, here, here. 
There is, Me too. you know, the idea that we can, we, that we really know so much, you know, we don't understand water fully, the whole DNA, you know, all these gene therapies, and they have got no understanding of that quantum level of information behind the DNA and what they're messing with and, and all the rest of it. Did you ever watch these sci-fi movies? I remember watching sci-fi programs and movies where, you know, people would land on this planet and there's all this infrastructure and buildings and there's all the people were dead. And they were like, oh yeah, there they was some experiment that went wrong. Yeah, we're heading there. And it's like, yeah, I can see us heading that way. <laughs> it's like all of us dead <laughs> because some idiot decided to play around with the gene therapies. And I'm not talking about a leaked virus. No, no. Way, I'm not talking about virus. I'm just talking about just major fuckery. It's <laughs> just like absolutely. You know, people. You know, one of the points I made in my my letter to the veterinary medicines directive was was the whole thing of microRNA, which a lot of people have never heard of. No, I never so, heard of. It. So microRNA, they're little strands of DNA, sort of twenty, thirty nucleotides long, and um, so they are heavily involved in cell regulation. So, and we think there's about five thousand of them recognised in the human body, of which we perhaps know a handful. How, how a handful of them work. Oh, wow. I need to make a note of this. I so, need to this. So, if micro, so once you're starting to mess around with, with modified RNA introduction. Yeah, not it, messenger, modified. modified yeah, yeah, yeah. As it gets broken down, there's bound to be within that certain strands which are going to be screwing up the whole micro RNA regulation. So there's a whole level of cell regulation that isn't fully understood. Wow. That we're going to be interfering with and messing with. Um, and, and, you know, it's this whole old reduction. I'm only trying to do that. I'll give you a great example. Good friend of mine. Um, her mother was prescribed two different medications and, and my friend was actually a chiropractor and she knew, you know, she has a fairly good, after many years in practice, she had a fairly good understanding of some of the medications that she frequently saw in some of her patients. And she said to her mum, look, you know, those two shouldn't be prescribed together because they're, they're contraindicated because they have an effect on her heart. So go back to your doctor and say, look, I don't think I should be on this anymore. Yeah. Um, I, you know, and, and so she went back and spoke to him. The doctor said, oh, no, it's all right, because that one's for your heart and that one's for your kidneys. It's like, so the, there's nothing circulating between them then. No, blood <laughs> doesn't go around all the body, you know, and it's this focus of, well, that does that over there. And the fact that we you know, we sort of ignore or, or 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 don't even think about what it might be doing elsewhere in the body, and it's just so narrow-minded. And I think a lot of this is where a lot of I think what's going wrong with a, a lot of the scientists. Again, they're trying to do really good research with really good intention, but they're so focused on their reductionist paradigm with what they're trying to achieve in their in their research that they forget that actually there's a whole rest everything's of the body linked. all around it. And as you say, everything's linked and they, you know, and money becomes the drive to, yeah, to, to, you know, for, for it all. And then, well. and then the psychopaths and predators exploit all this. I mean, like um, I had yeah. Dr. Rachel Brown, this carnivore shrink. Yep. Good boy. Um, she, she, <laughs> Rachel. Rachel. And um, she was saying how like, it's insane because you've got a neurologist who's looking into migraines and you've got a psychiatrist looking into depression, but it's all brain, it's all brain function and dysregulation. And, but there's two separate people and they're not looking at, at it as a whole, you know, and, and a lot of medicine is like that. You know, you're in your little compartment. You know, I was slapped on the wrist several times by 
you know, my medical director and the private hospital saying, stick to your scope of practice. Don't talk about vaccines and all that kind of stuff. And I, and I was like, you know, you're a foot and ankle surgeon, stick to feet. That's your scope of practice. And I, that's the mentality. And I was like, I wrote back and said, my scope of practice is treating the whole patient. Yeah. My scope of practice is patient safety. You know, my scope of practice isn't just treating feet. I'm a holistic surgeon. I treat people's depressions, you know, sleep problems, you know, their mental health, their physical health, their obesity, you know, their upper fermenting gut. This is how I've been practicing for the last five years. And don't tell me that my scope of practice is fixing a bunion or an ankle fracture. It's, it's so insulting. It's ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, you even get it within the same body system. So you'll have somebody who's a specialist in bladders who won't understand, oh, oh, that's kidney. Don't, don't talk about bladders. I really, I need to really wee right now, by the way. <laughs> need to. Okay, we'll talk about, so, so lower bowel and stomach. <laughs> so, but, but they, you know, it's like, they, they don't know enough about it. It's like, well, isn't that stomach part of that whole digestive system? Right? How can you, how can you, how can you, yes, you ha, have your, have your compartmentalize it. How can you compartmentalize it to the point where you actually don't know about what's going on in an earlier or right. a later part of absolutely. that system? It, yeah, because of course, it, absolutely they, they impact. And, you know, once you understand sort of a whole sort of uh, energy side of things uh, and the, the meridians and acupuncture points mm -hmm. and, and, you know, th then absolutely they are totally linked. So tell me something, how far, how long did it take you to drive here? About an hour and a half. That's quite good. All right. That's, I mean, that's a decent journey. Thank mm. you for making that journey. I really yeah, appreciate welcome. It. The reason why I'm asking you is I definitely want you back next year at some point. I, I, Cause I've got so many other things to talk about, I but you know, we're in contact, uh, not, not just on podcasts. I think we'll, we'll be good mates. So be outside of that. I'm sure. Do you know what? That's so funny. You just said that. Do you know, I was just saying this to a few people the other day that of the 19 now people that I've interviewed, I would say about at least a half of them are my friends. Yeah. You know, I, you know, half my guests regularly message me and go, all right, what's up? How's it going, mate? Like, you know, from the U S or wherever. And, and I keep in touch with them. And I, yeah. and it's funny from someone who didn't have very many friends, I'll be honest with you. I was quite picky, very selective. I never really fit in with the crowd. I was never a jock or a nerd or a geek. I, I, I was just some, it's just, Someone who just didn't fit, right? Yeah. Now, in the like last two years, and especially since the podcast, I've got so many new friends, and I'd love to be friends with you too. Yeah, absolutely. No, I look know? forward to it. It's like I found my tribe, you know. Well, absolutely. You know, and and it is it is like that. You know, um, it yeah. The, the, there is, you know, once once your mind has been expanded, then you you know you see it so clearly, and and not just in your own realm, but you see it in financial system you see it in medicine you see it in you know everything that's going on how it's you know how, how yeah. everything needs to needs to change i yeah i i thought that that once you see one scam you see them all but it's not always like that i had a lot of people who who who, who knew the the lockdowns and and the jabs were bad but when ukraine came along a big chunk of them were like oh i stand by ukraine and i was like oh here we go and then there's a big group of people you know who've now fallen for the latest scam which is the palestine israel conflict you know a little buttons being pressed by the people at the top yeah. and now we're all at each other's ah i stand with israel i stand with palestine and honestly guys you should stand for humanity well, absolutely you're being played you're you know, being played so badly. The guy Netanyahu who made Israel a petri dish and jabbed them to the hill, you know, he suddenly cares about the people. Come on. 
the Hamas leadership who are sitting in some hotel in Qatar care about the average Palestinian? Come on. I mean, all these people are actors and they're playing their roles and it's sad. And like, you know, we need to wake up to the fact that all the divisions, all the misery that we're seeing in, in the world today are manufactured yep. so that we are fighting each other. We are sick, we're oppressed and we cannot reach our maximum potential which is really sad. But anyway, look, I want you back in the new year because there's st- lots of things I didn't cover. We don't have time. You know, we've been over an hour and a half now. Yeah, but there was stuff like breeds of dogs and cats and the importance of it and what's it's healthy or not and, you know, dogs and leashes. I mean, this whole whole thing of, of animals that I still want to yeah, talk to you about. Absolutely. <laughs> so we'll, we'll organize something in the new year if that's okay. Yeah. But listen, I asked this of all my guests, this question. Um, you may know of this if you've listened to my podcast. But listen, Say you've reached a, a grand old age of 135 yep. and um, you've lived a good long life and your family's all around you. You know your time's come. You're on the deathbed. You're about to meet your maker. What advice, health or otherwise, would you tell your, your surrounding family about you or your animals or whatever? Gosh. Um, no pressure. No pressure. I haven't thought about dying yet because I've got another... <laughs> I've got, I've got nearly 100 years to go. <laughs> um, God willing. God willing. I think, um, you know, I'd, I'd just say, you know, we've, everybody has their own perspective. You know, just be aware that everybody's perspective is unique to them and it is coloured by past life experiences and and just where they are looking, you know, which angle you're looking from. At that point in at time. At that point in time. And that's the same for everything that we see. So, you know, other people's perspectives, you may not like them, you may not understand them, but um, just be aware that, you know, they are no less... Um, wedded to those perspectives from their own, you know, because that's how they understand things. And, you know, we've just got to sort of become far more tolerant of people and the things that really matter are, you know, are are, are beyond all, all that, all that bitterness, all that argument, you know, we're here to, to learn how to get on with each other and, uh, and to love each other and just, just be, and, enjoy you know i don't think there's anybody in any relationship where that relationship hasn't got areas where there's opposing views but it doesn't necessarily make that relationship any less strong and that should be the same with our friendship the same as our you know our personal relationships as well you know know, we said it earlier as well you know you don't have to discard the whole individual to not take what's useful yeah, you know, I often say to people, I don't care who I learn from. I don't care whether they've got the degree, whether they're a professor or whether they're, you know, somebody down the road who's just learned from the University of Life or, you know, what, knew someone who was a horse whisperer or a dog whisperer or a trainer, you know, so who's never done any formal education, but actually has got some useful observation that they've recognised that maybe no one else has. And, you know, we've just got to learn to be objective about what we hear, take what's good, reject what we don't like, but you don't have to reject the individual in rejecting that as well. You know, 
we've all got uh, we've all got our place here and we're all on our own journeys and we've just got to respect that yeah no I love that you know it's really it reminds me you know I was saying I, I might have been here on the podcast that you know if I am um, if I met myself from a month ago or a year ago probably be disagreeing with them yeah you know if I look back where, where I was as a 20 year old kid I'm a different person oh totally you know I I grew up well you are but you aren't because yeah because you're you're a product of you know you you you're a different person in 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 terms of where you've evolved to, but that this is the whole. But what I'm saying is, this it's is a whole flux. Quantum, we're a journey. This, we're yeah, this is the whole quantum physics thing. You know, it is the journey on the way that determines where you're at now. Yeah. So although yes, you are on one level a different person from where you, from where you were before. You are you are where you are now because of what came before as well. Hundred percent. And so you know, don't you know? We we can't discard or discount the journey and the lessons that we've learned on the way. And this is why I don't regret any of the hardships, and of which I've had many. Yeah. Because they have led me to this point where I am today, and I like where I am today. Yeah. And if I took away all those obstacles and problems, I would be in a different place. Yeah. I don't want to be there. No. But I was just giving an example. Like when I, when I was a little kid in my teens, I went to France, went to Paris, went with my brother and we ordered a, a me, um, steak at the restaurant and, the, and this French snooty waiter came over and said, what would you like? You know, gas or, you know, normal still water. I was like, God, what gas? I'm like, I was like, just water. And he brought a bottle of fizzy water and I drank it. I almost spat it out. I was like, what the fr- who drinks this disgusting fizzy water? Right and then, I, then I and then I ordered steak and the guy was like, "How would you like the steak done?" And I said, "Well done." And the look of disgust on his face was hilarious. And then he walked off, and I tucked into my steak and everything. You know, now I love sparkling water. Yeah, and I like my steak medium rare. Yeah, more rare than medium. Yeah, all right. So if I met myself. When I was a younger, I would have been that waiter. I would have slapped myself over the head and said, don't ruin that decent piece of meat. <laughs> you know, and that person that was 20 looking at me now, I'd be like, who the hell is that guy? What, 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 why is he eating that? So, we you know, we're so different in that respect. And that's yeah. just one example. Yeah. So, you know, we're shaped by our experiences and by time. I mean, I think there's some people who are very rigid. Yeah. But I think it's important to stay open, open to ideas. And when you start getting fixed on on a set of you know, opinions or dogma or ideology, that's where you're, you're, you know, you're not, you're not in a healthy place to be. No, no. I mean, my, my definite, you know, how the environment around us changes second by second. We're never actually in the same environment ever again in our lifetime. Mm. So the definition of health isn't absolute. The definition of health is how much we adapt to the surroundings around us second by second. And if we can do that, we stay healthy and that's healthy mind, healthy body, everything else, you know? So we got to stay fluid. You know, we're in a dynamic world, dynamic universe, and we've got to recognize that dynamism and realize that we've actually got to go with the flow up to, you know, keep to our principles, Know what we do is right, and and follow your heart, um, and uh, know that you'll be catered for when you do. Amazing, amazing! I like that. Be be like a, grounded in principles and morals and ethics and values and religion, whatever. 
but have that flexibility that allows you to give and adapt to your surroundings. Amazing. I think that's a great place to end. To all my listeners, um, you'll find all the links to Roger's website and whatever else, social media on, on my website, www.malik.com. The merch store will be coming out if it's not already out by the time this podcast airs. So please support me. You can buy me a coffee. You can subscribe to my Substack. I'm hitting 350 now. Um, most of whom are American and Canadian and Australian. So you Brits, please, one more time, please support me. Remember, I am not earning 80% of my income. It's a massive cut. And I wasn't earning that much. I was only working, you know, three days a week. And I'm an ethical doctor. And even that's now being cut back. So... Guys, this is what happens when you speak up for the truth. You get punished. You get censored. And um, I want to keep speaking up for the truth. I want people to hear um, from guests like yourself, Roger. And so, guys, I'm really hoping you will support me. So if you like my content, you love my um, podcast, you know, please subscribe and support me. All right, everybody. Thank you so much. And um, Roger, you're a star, mate. Been a pleasure. Honestly. I look forward to the next one. Damn right, mate. Damn right. 